Well, I want to welcome all of you that watch online literally around the world. And I'm so glad you're watching because my message today really is about God's love for the whole world. And a shout out to all of you, especially at the West Fort Worth and the North Richland Hills campuses. Uh, you're watching me on video today because I'm live at the South Lake campus for a very special reason. We're rejoicing today because this is the first Sunday that Southlake is going to three morning services because they've outgrown their capacity to handle their crowd in two. So we're celebrating with them. Pray for Southlake that this transition goes well. And of course, our prayer is that at every campus, God just continues to bring people who are eager to learn what it means to become a follower of Jesus. Now, next weekend, I am so excited because it's baptism weekend. And we have people on every campus signed up to get baptized. In every service at North Richmond Hills and West Fort Worth next weekend, people have signed up to get baptized. And I want to encourage you, if you're thinking about getting baptized, uh, talk to someone this week. Give us a call. Go online to sign up. And Taylor Walling and I have made a 10-minute video answering some of the most important questions about baptism. Watch that with a friend and we're excited about next weekend. Now, you might be thinking, well, if a lot of people come to get baptized, you don't have enough baptism robes. Hey, we're already ahead of you. So if you come to get baptized next weekend, we are going to give you this little package. It has everything you need. It's got the shorts. It's got the shirt. It's got the proper undergarments. And you're going to get to keep it. And it comes with this really cool shirt. That you're going to get if you get baptized next weekend. In fact, some of you, because you like the shirt so much, you're going to want to come get baptized. Even if you have been baptized, shame on you. We'll just give you a shirt. But that all is next weekend. Hey, and I want to say one more thing. And I know because uh, we are a large church that some people might think, well, Rick's he's uh, too busy. He, he can't baptize. That's not true. I would baptize anybody, anytime, anywhere. Next weekend, if you're at the North Richland Hills campus and you would like me to baptize you, all you need to do is ask and I am there. In fact, I argue that I can baptize better than David Meyer. And if you don't believe me, just come next weekend and find out. It's going to be awesome and I want you to be praying about it. Now, the background is a little different this week, as you know, because we've had the thorn at the North Richmond Hills campus. What an awesome presentation that is. If you haven't seen it yet, you have two more chances. We have a 3 o'clock performance. Sunday at 3 o'clock is in English. And then at 7 o'clock, we're having a performance in Spanish. And we're so excited about that. You know, if I had a do-over, one thing in my life I think I would do over... I wish I had learned Spanish. I'm really serious about this. I took two years of Spanish in high school, and I had an affinity for the language. Even several years later, my first trip to Latin America, I was amazed at how I could get around with just a couple of years of Spanish in high school. I really do regret that I never learned Spanish. But some of you didn't know, I actually can speak three languages. I am fluent in Texan. I am somewhat fluent in English, and I am still fairly conversant in King James. Now, when I was a boy, I was much more conversant in King James than I am today, because frankly, I doth not useth it much. But I can still hang with those three languages. I think we should remember as we read our scripture 
that people being able to speak more than one language has always been a strategy in God's plan to reach the world. Think about the apostles. They spoke Aramaic, the language of their land, but they went into the world and they spoke Greek and other languages to take the gospel to the world. And have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus was most likely bilingual? Now, I infer that especially from one text we're going to look at here today, where Jesus goes outside of Palestine. The only time in the Gospels we have him leaving Palestine, and he's able to talk in her tongue to a pagan woman. And no one could have expected what happened next to someone that everyone thought was a no one. Read with me in Matthew 15. Now, leaving that place, meaning Palestine, the land of his home, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. That's a region north of Palestine, north of Galilee. And notice, a Canaanite woman. Now, when you hear that word Canaanite, every Jew heard pagan of the worst kind. Enemies of Israel for 2,000 years. That's who she is. And she's from that vicinity, and she came to Jesus crying out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And the woman came and knelt before him, Lord, please help me. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Now, does that story bother you just a little bit? Doesn't Jesus seem... A little, well, frankly, a little unchrist-like. I mean, here's this woman. She's got this great burden for her child. She comes up and begs Jesus. And Jesus doesn't even talk to her. It says, he didn't answer a word. Now, granted, she's the wrong gender. She's the wrong race. She's the wrong faith. But why the silent treatment? Well, let me give you a thought. All of you that are school teachers know that when a teacher gives a test, the teacher is usually quiet. And I think in this powerful story, Jesus is giving a test. I think first, he is testing her faith in him. Because no one would have expected this person to model the kind of faith that everyone needs to have. But she did. In fact, the story ends with Jesus saying, Woman, you have great faith. And literally, the Greek word there for great is mega. You've heard of mega malls or mega deals or mega churches. Well, Jesus says, Woman, you've got mega faith. I love that. Because I think we all need to ask ourselves, Well, what does mega faith consist of? Well, let me give you some thoughts. First, it's got the right object. Jesus. Mega faith, 
believes in Jesus. She calls Him Lord. She calls Him Son of David, which is a messianic title. And she brings Him more than honor. She brings Him homage. Look again at verse 25 from the New Living Translation. She came and she worshipped Him. Pleading again, Lord, help me. Just like that man with the demons we saw a few weeks ago, Legion, that fell at Jesus' feet. It's the same word in the Greek. It's the strongest word in the Bible for worship. She comes in front of all of her peers who worship all these other gods. And she gets down in front of Jesus and she worships Him. And the verb tense implies that she just keeps worshiping Jesus even though He's not responding. She is not getting the answer she wants. By the way, that's how you know it's mega faith. It's not just the right object, but mega faith perseveres. Mega faith hangs in there with God when it doesn't feel like God is listening. And Jesus finally speaks. And he seems to say, woman, you got the right God. But you got the wrong time. I am sent to the lost sheep. Of Israel. Jesus' earthly ministry was brief, only about three years. And he focused on establishing the foundations of his kingdom among the people that God had prepared. He would tell a Samaritan woman one time at a well salvation is from the Jews. And by the way, this was the mission strategy of the early church. Paul said, My gospel is first to the Jew. And then to the Gentile, you can read in Acts, they would typically go to a town, they would find the synagogue, and they would preach Jesus to the Jewish people. Usually they'd get kicked out or run out, and they would go then to the Gentiles. So Jesus says, my mission is to Israel. Now, if you're a Jew, and you thought of Gentiles like this woman, you had a word, and the word was dog. And the word was for that dog out there that was big and hung out at the garbage dumps and was mean and scary. And that's what you call Gentiles, dogs. But that's not the word Jesus used. Jesus said it's not right to give the bread that's for the children to the dogs. Now, it's very important to get this. He uses the word of the little house pet dog. This is foreign to us, but in their culture, they didn't have dish rags and napkins. So as you would eat with your hands and your hands would get greasy, you would take some bread and you'd kind of wipe it off your hands with the bread and then you'd put it on the floor for the little house pets to eat. And so when Jesus said that, he is actually veiling a promise. He's actually implying, you're going to get to eat too, but not first. And she jumped on that promise and she claimed that promise. And, and, and she says to Jesus, Lord, it is right for you to do something for me. I'm not asking you to change your plans. I'm just saying even house pets receive kindness from the master. I think when she said that, Jesus broke out into the biggest smile. Because let me tell you something about mega faith. It has the right object, it perseveres, and it expects. And she expects, she says, against all the evidence against me, I know that you're good. And I know that you intend to give bread to the world. And her mega faith was mega pleasing 
to Jesus. By the way, I think it's interesting. Only two times in the Gospels does Jesus tell someone, you've got great faith. The other time was a Gentile too. A a Roman soldier, and he has a sick servant, and he says, Jesus, would you heal my servant? And Jesus said, I'll come on with you. And this Roman soldier says, you don't have to. I know authority. You could just speak the word, and my servant would get well. And Jesus says, I haven't found this kind of faith in all Israel. So think about this. The two times that Jesus says, this is mega faith, are people who aren't even a part of the covenant community. No one would have expected them to have that kind of faith. And by the way, I think that's the other reason Jesus was silent, because he wasn't just testing her. He was given a second test. I think he was testing his disciples and testing their love for them. Because you need to realize that this story follows the most controversial sermon Jesus ever preached. If you would read the first part of the chapter of Matthew, some Pharisees come up and say, why don't your disciples wash your hands before they eat? And Jesus immediately challenges their hypocrisy and why they always make a bunch of rules God never made. But then it says he drew all the crowd together. and I want you to listen to this. And everyone leans in. And Jesus, I'm telling you, he said something just raised her eyebrows. He said, it's not on the outside that makes you unclean. It's the inside. It's not what's from the outside that defiles you. It's what's from the inside. The thing that's keeping you far from God is what's in your heart. It's what's in your soul. It's your priorities. It's your deepest self. That's what's got to get clean. It's not the outside that God cares about. It's the inside. And right after he says that, and I don't think this is a coincidence, Jesus takes his only trip outside of Palestine. He takes his disciples intentionally to them land to see if they got what he had just said. To see if they would practice what he just preached. To see if they would advocate for somebody who was unclean on the outside. Well, we've already read what happened. Verse 23, the disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She's bothering us with all her begging. And their bigoted spirits were exposed. They weren't going to advocate for a them. And Jesus probably was frustrated, but just like Jesus, he didn't give up on them. He just continued to penetrate and to plant this awesomely radical idea that no one is them to God. Not long after this, he... He gives one of his most radical parables. It's called the parable of the good Samaritan, which is ironic because to a Jew there's no such thing as a good Samaritan. And the whole point of this radical parable was to get you to open your eyes to the possibility that them just might be your neighbor. Now, let's get a little edgy. If Jesus told the story today, Who would the neighbor be? 
It wouldn't have any power or punch if he told us the parable of the good Samaritan. So who would he use in that story? My guess is he could use a lot of different people depending on who he's talking to. To some of you, the neighbor might have been some person on welfare whose skin was darker than yours. To some, the neighbor might have been some person with a chaw in her mouth driving a pickup whose skin was lighter than yours. To some, the neighbor would have been someone that votes Democrat. To some, the neighbor might have been someone who votes Republican. Maybe the neighbor was someone that lived in this country illegally. But I guarantee you, if Jesus was telling the story to you today, he would use, instead of Samaritan, somebody that challenged you to a new and deeper level of love. I heard a powerful sermon a month or two ago by a pastor in the Dallas area who planted a church in Frisco. His name is Afshin Ziafat. Not your typical uh, English name. Afshin is from Iran. He's a pastor of a Christian church. And recently, he told about a town hall meeting of a small town in the Metroplex area. And people were up in arms because of plans to build in that small community a cemetery dedicated to Muslim people. And so people gathered to disagree with the council about this decision. And a pastor stood up and said... Why, if this happens, the next thing you know, we'll have an Islamic center. And before you know it, we'll have Muslims from all over coming to live with us. And Ashman couldn't believe it. This is a bad thing. People who don't know Jesus are coming to be our neighbors and we're against this? Now, let me be fair and say that Ashton was later asked to come and address that council to make it clear that that one pastor did not represent how many Christians feel. But listen, folks. And don't, by the way, don't go off and send me some email about your opinion about immigration, okay? I'm not smart enough to figure that out. That is over my pay grade. Here's what I do know. You have never met anybody from anywhere that God doesn't love and God doesn't want to find Jesus. Period. And if I have to, I'll send you an email to tell you that again. If we're going to display mega faith in Jesus, then we're going to have to embrace His mega vision for the world. Here's what Jesus said to His disciples. I've other sheep. They're not in this flock. I must bring them also. Now, there are not many things God must do. So if God ever says, I must, you better take it seriously. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. Get this. Jesus' heart beats for every one. So what is Jesus trying to teach us in this crazy, wonderful, radical chapter in Matthew's gospel? 
Three things. Number one, remember someone is hungry. Do not stereotype who's capable of mega faith. You might be surprised that despite their tongue or their color or their accent or their dress or even their religious background, you might be surprised of someone who is starving for a crumb. You know, desperation will do that. This woman had her God. She had her house of worship. But she reached a place in her life where every other thing she turned to was failing to deliver. And there comes a time when someone is going to say, I've got cancer. I've got craziness in my family. I've got financial struggle. I've got questions that my old gods can't answer. And in that moment, someone is hungry. I think I've told before the story, Jamie was in Asia on a Let's Start Talking trip. She was coming home and she prayed to the Lord on the short leg from her place to Korea that she could sit by someone that needed to hear about Jesus. Well, a young woman from China sat down next to her and began immediately to read a book. And Jamie was going to just give her some space. The book was in Chinese, but then Jamie noticed the cover of the book. It was that tree on the cover of The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. So she said, I know that book. Are you a Christian? And the woman said, no, I'm not. Some friends uh, are Christians, and they said, I should read this book. And Jamie said, well, if you have any questions, I'd love to talk to you, because I'm a Christian. She said, okay, fine. She went back to her book. And after a while, she put the book down and said, I do have a question. And she said, "If, if Jesus came to the Jews, why did they reject him? And Jamie said, that's a great question. So they launched into this conversation about who Jesus is. And Jamie said, now, did your friends uh, give you this book to read? She said, no. No. She said, I was, I was walking down the street and uh, a big rainstorm came and I didn't have an umbrella. So I just jumped into a door to get dry. And it turned out to be a Christian bookstore. And, and the lady said, I should read this book. And I didn't want to seem ungrateful for a place to stay dry. So I bought it. So here it is. And I'm reading it. And then she went on to say, you know, I was, I'm a scientist. I'm on my way to Germany to do some uh, experiments there. But I was trained to deny God. But I have known since high school there's too much order in the universe for there not to be a creator. So I assume that maybe we're just like little lab rats. He couldn't care about us, but he's doing an experiment on us. And Jamie said, now, let's, let's think about this. Um, you just happen to have Christian friends. And, and you just happen to be going down the street when a rainstorm just happened to happen. And you just happened to run into a Christian bookstore where you just happened to buy a book in Chinese with a cover that a person would happen to recognize who happened to sit next to you on a plane who prayed before they got on the plane that God would put them next to someone to tell them about Jesus. Do you think all that's accident or do you think maybe God is saying, I love you, I care about you, and I know the deepest question of your heart. And about that time the plane was landing, she said, you've given me a lot to think about. Now, here's my point. 
This woman is trained politically and educationally by the greatest minds of her country to disbelieve. But there was a gnaw. There was a hunger. That's what we have to keep our eyes open to. Listen to Jesus, John 6. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give up so that the world may have life. Jesus died so that the whole world could be fed. No one who is hungry is turned away from Jesus' table. See, that's the second truth I want you to remember. Anyone is welcome. Do we act like there are certain ones that God's love cannot reach? Here's the reality. The greatest faith is often found in that one we would have least expected. But what matters... It's not what's on the outside. What matters is what's on the inside. What's the best known verse in the whole Bible? For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. That, here's my favorite word, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. When I was a boy, we sang a hymn at my church. And it went like this, all things are ready, come to the feast. And the chorus would say, hear the invitation, oh, whosoever will. Here's the irony. We sang that song in my little church and we wouldn't welcome black people to visit our church. We sang, whosoever will, the feast is available, come to the table. But we didn't live what we proclaimed. Christianity is a whosoever will religion. Anyone is welcome. Hey, let me tell you a little more about Afshin. His family was in Iran. When the Shah was deposed and the Islamic Revolution took over that country, his family fled to America for safety. Shortly after that, some of you were old enough to remember the Iran hostage crisis. And over 400 Americans for over a year were kept captive by a government hostile to the United States. And many of us every night would watch uh, as people would chant death to the USA and our fellow citizens were kept captive. So what happened in our country was a lot of bitterness and hatred toward Iranian people welled up. So young Afshin, his brother, mother, and father are living in Houston, Texas. They barely know any English. They speak Farsi. They're trying to make a new life for themselves. And I'd love to say, so the Americans showed them great hospitality, but I can't say that. Rocks would be thrown through the window of their home. The tires on their cars would get slashed. Every day at school, Afshin and his brother were threatened by bullies with getting beat up. So, Ashvin 
obviously needs to learn English to survive in this culture. And his parents pay a tutor at his elementary school, he's in second grade, to read with him after school. And he's a fast learner. And before that year is over, that lady gave Ashton another book. He said, Ashton, this is a Bible. Now, you won't understand it now, but promise me someday you will read this book. And ten years later, Afshin Ziafat read a Bible given to him by a second grade tutor. And he gave his life to Christ. And I love when I heard his testimony how he put it. He said of that wonderful woman, I'm going to love this guy even if my culture is against it. And Afshin said, she didn't see me as a threat. She saw me as an opportunity. Boy, I hope that goes deep in our hearts. I hear so much language today about people who are not us, who are them. And we talk like they are threats. When I think the Spirit of God is trying to whisper and maybe shout in our ears, No, no, there are opportunities to come to the table. Listen to me. I'm going to say this slow and clear so that you can't misunderstand It does not matter what anyone looks like to someone who wants to look like Jesus. And here's why. Because everyone is us. Know them in the kingdom of God. Just us. And by the way, I think it's very important for all of you listening to this lesson who look like me to remember that we were them to the people Jesus was sent to. But grace trumps heritage. The point of this sermon is not to say that heritage is unimportant. Be proud of your heritage Be proud if your heritage is Hispanic. Be proud if it's African. Be proud if it's Polish or Swedish or Danish or Jewish. But now listen to me. Heritage doesn't get anybody into heaven. And heritage won't keep anybody out of hell. Everyone needs the bread of life. Matthew 28, therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And by the way, all nations is literally all ethnic groups. Red, yellow, black, white. Everyone is precious in His sight. And everyone. Is to go. And they are. It's so exciting to me to see what God is doing in the kingdom around the world. We hear a lot about how the church isn't doing well. Well, don't be myopic. In North America and Europe, the church may have its struggles. But let me tell you, the kingdom of God is flourishing around the world. It's just not flourishing so much among the people that look like me. Did you know that right now, There are more 
Anglicans in Nigeria than there are in Europe and North America combined. Did you know in Nepal that 70 years ago there wasn't a single Christian? Today there are 400,000 evangelical Christians in Nepal. Did you know at Yale, at the Campus Crusade for Christ, 85% of the members are Asians? Did you know that right now there are 15,000 missionaries in Great Britain? And most of them are African. They are us. Even that one. And that was made to me so powerfully clear by a recent baptism I was privileged to witness at the North Richland Hills campus. So Hela Amudi gave her life to Christ. And I want you to be encouraged by this. Watch, please. Church, this is, uh, this is Sohela Mahmoudi. And I met Sohela. I didn't forget her. Church's story pierces my heart. I met her because she came up to me in service one day and she says, I want what you have. And I said, trust me, it's not me, but it's Jesus that you see. And she says, I want to have that. And as I've gotten to know her, she was born in Iran. She was born to parents who are Muslims. She was a a political prisoner in in Iran for five years. And through all of that, she realized that she didn't believe what Muhammad taught. And so she studied all the different world religions. And as she did that, she always saw Jesus above all the others, but what seemed to be a little too far away. But she said, David, I've been wandering, I've been wondering my whole life. But yet she sat in my office and she said, I no longer wonder because she met Jesus. And so a couple of months ago, she's sitting here in service and she's watching Terry Martin baptize Becky Brackenberg. And when he did that, he said, this is my one. And it made her stop. And she turned and looked at Melissa and she said, Melissa, am I your one? And Melissa said, yes. And she said it made her feel so warm inside. And I said, so Hela, now you're going to have a chance to have a one. And she goes, oh, Mr. David, I have many ones. (laughs) Yes. So Hela, I am so proud of you. I am so thankful that God let me meet you. And I just want to ask you in front of all these folks, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross and he rose again for the forgiveness of all of your sins? And today, do you not only want to accept him as your Savior, but submit to him as your Lord? Because of that confession, I'm now going to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of all of your sins and the receipt of his Holy Spirit. All right. And I love that Sohela said, I have many ones. You know, there are 16,000 people a day in China becoming Christians. I'd like to think that maybe that person that sat next to Jimmy on the plane is one of those 16,000. 
And I hear people worried about the fate of the church. I'm not worried at all. Someone's going to teach your grandchildren about Jesus. God may send them from China or Iran or Mexico. But there is room at the table for everyone. Jesus can save anyone. Even that one. And just remember, them is us. Us is them. And there's room at the table for all. Can I pray for you? So God, I pray this lesson will sink in. If it needs to irritate a little bit, I pray that it will in a holy way. If it needs to confront some racist attitudes, I pray that it will in a holy way. If it needs to challenge us to have a broader vision for who is our one, I pray that it will in a healthy and holy way. And I pray, God, that we will understand that your table is ready. There is always room. And we have such a privilege to be able to say to anyone, I know where there's bread. And I'd love for you to come and sit by me. Oh God, please bring more lost people to our church. For Jesus' sake, amen.